0: Jesus? He's my Savior. Savior, Lord, everything, Creator. My Father. Who is Jesus? Oh, wow. To me, he's the Son of God. Oh, gosh. That's what a question. He, to me, Jesus is everything. He's my everything. You're going to make me cry. He's the the leader of my life. (laughs) He's the son of God. He is God. Who is Jesus? My Lord and Savior. Oh, that's my answer. Oh, too bad. bad. (laughs) He's my Lord and Savior, too. (laughs) Super guy. (laughs) Jesus is my Lord and Savior who came to the earth, died on the cross for me, gave his life for me. Jesus is our Lord and Savior, and he'll take care of us all if we let him. Those are some good answers. Did anybody else think that the red car was going to hit the little girl? When I watched that the first time, I'm like, move, get out of the What is? pull her out of the way. Um, and the one girl, I think, could preach better than me right now. Um, no, those are some great answers. Uh, well done by our video folks, and I think Danielle, who was up here singing, was the interviewer uh, on there. And uh, when we talk about serving opportunities in the church, we're not just talking about, like, you know, the folks that you see walking up and down the aisle serving you. Um, during the giving time, or helping you find a seed. And we have tons of opportunities like that right there, helping us create these kind of elements. So, um, we'd love for you to be a part of any of those. But today, we are concluding our God Quest series. Um, we've looked over the last four weeks at several things. We've looked at what is truth, we've looked at who is God, we've looked at why is there suffering. And today, we are looking at who is Jesus. And I said right up front, if you were here, um, up front, you were here like as soon as we started, we gave away $50 to everybody that was here at 1030. Um, I'm just kidding. But uh, I said right up front that, hey, we're looking at this question today. And for some of you, you think, well, I, you know, I'm exempt from this. I already know that answer. Um, I've been in the church a long time or I've been a Christian for a long time. or um, But none of us are really exempt from answering that question. Because if you look at the idea of Jesus Christ, he is one of the most divisive figures in all of history he is in some of our promotional material for this this series and for this message here we talked about the idea that jesus really is the dividing point of all world religions because any religion that is going to pit itself against or be contrary to christianity in any way has to answer the question who is jesus does he play any role in your belief system, in your faith system that you're trying to um, present to folks? Because in, in, in Christianity and in the, in the faith that, that I have, Christ, Jesus plays a central role in that. We're going to talk a lot about that today. But, you know, we had some people answer questions. They were just We just walked around town. I think that, that segment there was shot in Marietta Square. But just walking around town asking folks, like, hey, who is Jesus? And you got a bunch of different answers. Now, some of those were similar. He's the son of God, the one lady, super guy. I don't know if that's a superhero I'm not aware of or something. But I haven't seen Avengers yet, so maybe he's in that. But um, anyway, Uh, so I don't know what your answer would be. I'm not sure how you would answer that. But we had son of God, the savior and creator and my father and all these kind of things. But if you were to walk around, you would get... If you ask 25 people, you would get at least 25 different answers probably. Some of the more common ones are, you know, he's the greatest man ever to live. He's a prophet. He was a great teacher. Um, I'm not sure he was a wise man. Um, He was a Jew. Uh, He was the son of God. Uh, He was a philosopher or a poet. He's savior of the world. He's a simple man. He's a complex man. You have all these ideas about who Jesus was or who Jesus is. But the two most prevalent, for anybody that actually believes that Jesus lived on the earth, like he was a real human historical figure, the two most prevalent outside of he's the son of God are the idea that he was like a a great um, religious teacher or, or good moral teacher or that he was like a prophet of God but not necessarily the son of God. So people that believe that he actually did live, if they don't accept that he's the son of God, A lot of them would say, you know, he was just like a good moral teacher or he was a prophet of God, but not necessarily the son of God. And so we're going to look at some of those things and unpack some of those things. But here's what I want you to do. I know you just sat down, but you're going to eat lunch later. And so you need to work this off. It's calisthenics. Everybody stand up for me real quick. Everybody standing. All right. Here's what I want you to do. Stay standing. All right. I'm I'm totally sexist here. Stay standing. If you're a guy, if you're not a guy, sit down. If you're not sure, ask your neighbor. Okay? Stay standing if you are over the age of 18. Okay? Got a couple there. Stay standing if you are over the age of 25. Awesome, JJ. Stay standing if you are under the age of 40. So if you're over 40, you should be sitting now. I understand, slower moving. I get that. I'm I'm with you there. All right, so we have men standing between the ages of 25 and 40. All right, stay standing if you were born in the United States. All right, stay standing if you were born in the southeastern United States. Okay, stay standing if you were born in the state of North Carolina. Stay standing if you were born in High Point, North Carolina in July in High Point General Hospital, just me, I win. $100 right there. I didn't tell you guys that was the prize, but no, okay. So here's what we did. We took an entire group of people and we took a set of parameters to eliminate everybody else except me and I win because I like to win, all right? And so I win. But what those parameters did is they identified me after the fact. I took the parameters that fit me And gave you those parameters, and now I win. I'm the only one left standing. So if you were to look at Scripture, you would find that same kind of game, that same kind of practice there to identify Jesus Christ as the Messiah, except that it didn't happen after the fact. It actually happened before the fact. Because what you have throughout scripture is you have somewhere between 360 and 420 messianic prophecies. And what that means is prophecies to identify the Messiah. All right? So you have these these prophecies, these things that were foretold. They were told before it happens. Okay? So it doesn't count if something happened and then we say that happened. That's not a prophecy. That's just a good story. You're just retelling a story. So a prophecy is something that's told before it happens, right? And so there's somewhere between 360 and 420 messianic prophecies in Scripture, about 90% of those happening in the Old Testament, and the majority of those happening really in the books of Isaiah and Zechariah and the book of Psalms. And so you have these prophecies that are in these books that really help us to point towards the, the Messiah that's to come. And you have to understand that when you're looking at the book of Zechariah, you're talking about a book that was written 500 years before Jesus Christ was on the earth. You're looking at the book of Isaiah, you're talking about a book that was written 700 years before Jesus Christ came to the earth. And when you're looking at the book of Psalms, you're talking about a book that was written 1,000 years before Jesus Christ was on the earth. So we're not talking about something that, you know, was around the same time. I mean, these are documented, verifiable, credible texts that we have that are dated 500 or 700 or 1000 years before the time of Jesus Christ that give us these um, prophecies that point towards this coming Messiah. And so just like I did, we take those criteria and we begin to eliminate certain people, certain groups of people, and we end up with one central figure that fulfills all of those prophecies. I just want to read through a few of these. And and this is not an exhaustive list because we're not going to read through all 420 of them. And some of you just said amen right there, okay? Um, But here's just a couple, okay? In the book of Isaiah chapter 9... There is a foretelling, a prophecy that, that God would come to earth and be born as a human male. This is what it says in Isaiah 9. This is not going to be on the screen, okay? For to us, a child is born to us, a son is given, the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government, and the peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on forever. Okay? That's the Old Testament, that's the book of Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus, now John chapter 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And he was with God in the beginning. Verse 3, through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The message translation says he put skin on and moved into the neighborhood, which I think is awesome. Um, It says, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. So the word was with God. And then became flesh and dwelt among us. It's the fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 9. It was God coming to earth as a human being. Born of a virgin, this is one of the the linchpin pieces when we look at Jesus Christ. Isaiah chapter 7 says, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Again, about 700 years before Jesus Christ. And this is not like saying, hey, he's going to be born in North Carolina. This is a pretty big deal here, okay? Born of a virgin, this is not, you know, a safe bet. This is a really kind of out on a limb here. Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 through 23 say, But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, talking about Joseph, the father, the earthly father of Jesus, the husband of Mary, says to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because, she, uh, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you can read the rest of that passage there, born of a virgin. That being from the house of David, which if you're Jewish or you have any type of Jewish lineage, you would understand that this is a big deal. We read it a little bit earlier in the book of Isaiah about him coming from the house of David. In Isaiah chapter 16, it says, In love a throne will be established, in faithfulness a man will sit on it, one from the house of David, one who in judging seeks justice and speeds the cause of righteousness. Matthew chapter 1, the, the begats and the genealogy here says this, a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. Verse 6 tells us that Jesse was the father of King David. And verse 16 continues there and says, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, who of whom was born Jesus. So you have this fulfilled prophecy That was told, hey, listen, this is the family that Jesus is going to come out. The Messiah is going to come out of. So we've now kind of eliminated a lot of folks. If you weren't from this line, from this family, from this tribe, you were not considered to be an eligible candidate to be the Messiah. Look at this, the place where he was to be born, Micah chapter 5, written about 700 plus years before Jesus was ever born. This is what it says, But you, Bethlehem Ephratah, which, because there were multiple Bethlehems in that region, that specific Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Okay, okay. Matthew chapter two, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi came from the east and we can see them marching in with their big hats and their gifts, right? So this is the idea that he was born in that specific place. I could go on and on and on. There are more than 350 messianic prophecies that before Jesus was ever born, it set up the idea that there was some specific set of criteria that would identify who the Messiah was. And now we get to this place where we see all these amazing things in the story of Jesus Christ that help connect him to these and to the fulfillment of these prophecies. There are prophecies in the book of uh, Isaiah 49 and fulfilled in John 15 about him being hated. There's prophecies in Zechariah 11 and uh, fulfilled in Matthew 26 about him being betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. So you're talking about here 500 years before Jesus is even born We understand that he's going to be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver, and that's fulfilled. So if you're looking for these resources, they're going to be on our website. Sometime later this week, we'll put up all these prophecies that that we have, and we're going to show where they're fulfilled. If you're looking for that, maybe for your own growth and development or for a conversation with a friend, we understand that it was foretold that he would die on a cross, but that no bones would be broken. That was unheard of when you look at crucifixions in Rome but none of his bones were broken in the crucifixion in the, in the way that we have this story retold. We understand that even though all those who were crucified were just thrown kind of into these general poor man grave, that it would be foretold in the book of Isaiah, I believe, that he was going to be put in a rich man's tomb. And what we see uh, later in the book of Matthew is that there was a rich man who came to collect his body and put him in his own personal family tomb. That he would eventually rise from three days later, which was foretold in the Old Testament hundreds and hundreds of years before he ever came to the earth. Now, some of you are sitting here going, that's awesome. Great. But really, when I look at scripture, it's an old book. I wasn't around 700 years before Jesus, so I'm not even sure if that's credible you need to go back and listen to the message that Pastor Mark preached three weeks ago. Pastor Mark is our senior pastor from Mount Perrin North, both of our Marriott and our Canton campus. He speaks here about every other week, and he, he talked about truth and the credibility of the Bible. And, and three weeks ago, he helped us to identify historical understanding of how credible Scripture really is. And you say, well, but yeah, prophecy, I mean, couldn't they kind of, you're taking like one sentence or one verse. How how do you know that it really matches? I'm not just taking one. I'm using one to be a part of a larger story of 400 that say to us, there's only one guy that fits all of these, that fulfills every single one of these. It's Jesus Christ. And he is who he said he was. And see, when he showed up, he he continued to give us revelation about who he was. Because like I said, a lot of people would say, okay, yeah, but he was just like a good moral teacher. He was just somebody that, you know, you know we should kind of look to to get some insight for how to live. C.S. Lewis, who is a, a, obviously a great author. There's many texts that we still have of his. But he was an atheist before he really began to write a lot of the texts that we have and we, we look to for our faith. This is what he said, and it's going to be up on the screen. He says this. I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, talking about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who, has, who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. See, Jesus, when he was on the earth, even asked this question of his disciples. You know, Jesus was walking around and he was healing people and he was, you know, doing these incredible things, these miracles, all these incredible things that we read about. He was teaching and and there was a group of men, a group of people. Now, there's a much larger group that would just kind of follow him. But the disciples were the 12 guys that really were closest to him that got to see most of the things that he did right up close. They were the ones that got really the the very in-depth look at at all the miraculous things that he did and they heard most all the teachings that he did except for a few times where he had sent them out or done some ministry on their own. But there comes a passage in Matthew chapter 16 where after they've seen all these incredible things, he kind of turns it on them. And I think this is an incredibly relevant passage for you and I, especially if you've been in the church for a while. Especially if you've been around Christianity for a while. Because you can no longer say, well, yeah, I know a little bit about what's going on. I know a little bit about Jesus or I've heard most of the things you've said or I've been in church. I've actually heard some of those songs you know, on, on the radio or I, I know a little bit about all this stuff, okay? And here's what Jesus says to his disciples. In that context, he makes it very personal and he puts his finger in their face, at least the way it plays in my head. He puts his finger in their face and he asks them a very specific question. Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 13. This will be up on the screen. It says, now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? Talking about himself. One translation actually says, who do people say that I, the son of man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. So stop right there just for a second and understand that 2,000 years ago, people were saying the same thing that they're saying now about Jesus. Some people say you're a good guy, you're one of the prophets, you kind of hear from God and say good things to us to teach us. You know what John the Baptist's reputation was in that day? That he was crazy. Okay, he's a lunatic. He's out in the middle of the desert, and he's wearing camel hair, and he's eating bugs, right? We kind of glorify this guy because he, you know, baptized Jesus. But they're saying the same thing here in this context that most people are saying in our culture now. He's a lunatic, or is this really great biblical moral teacher. And this is what he says. If that's for me, tell him I'll call him back. He says, he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him and said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ, which they went out and utterly failed at because they told everybody. So in this passage, he asks them, what's the cultural context of me? What are people saying about me? Who do they think I am? They're like, oh, you're a good guy. You're, you know, John the Baptist. You're this crazy guy, or you're a good prophet. And then he says to them, okay, but who do you say that I am? Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, yeah, you're right. And you didn't just get that answer by yourself, but my father gave you that answer to be able to answer that. And then Jesus sets himself apart right here. He doesn't allow for any wiggle room on the idea that he's just this really good moral teacher. He says, listen, I have the authority of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth earth will be loosed in heaven. He's saying, listen, I am something different than just human flesh and blood. I am human flesh and blood, but I also have the authority of heaven here in the way that I'm teaching you. He's saying, I'm something more than just these prophets and teachers and human religious figures that people are trying to make me out to be. And so you have a choice. Because in John 14 and 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. And so now you sit here this morning, maybe you're questioning this yourself. Or maybe you have some friends or family members that are questioning this in their life and there's been conversations around the dinner table or out at the ball fields or in your home or on Facebook or, or calling them on and, and you're trying to figure out how do you personally connect this to your life or maybe how do they do that and you're trying to help them? Is he a good moral teacher? Is he just a good guy that we should look for life principles? Or is he the son of God who he claimed to be with, with heavenly authority from God? And here's how you can look at that, okay? Here's how you can answer that question. And this is not original with me. I stole this, which most of my good stuff is stolen. This is what you have. Jesus was either on earth saying the things that he said and lying about it, but didn't know he was lying. He was either here saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. He was saying, yes, I am, Simon. I am the son of God who you say that I am. And everything that you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And everything you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And he could have believed that but been lying and just not known he was lying. And now he's not a good moral teacher. He's a lunatic. He's crazy out of his mind. It's what C.S. Lewis referred to here. He's saying, listen, I am somebody that I say that I am. And you think that I am this. But he's out of his mind. He's not really that. So he can't just be this good moral teacher. He has to just be this crazy guy that you avoid on Halloween. You don't go to their house, right? Or he was lying and knew he was lying. He recruited these 12 guys to indoctrinate them with his religious dogma and cultish beliefs to then send them out to help you know, permeate this message that he wanted to have so that he could be the central figure of this worldwide religion for all of humankind, And he was lying about what he said. And now he's not a good religious teacher. He is a liar on the hook for the eternal damnation of millions and maybe billions of people. Because he has completely fooled them. Or he was telling the truth. He's either a lunatic. He's a liar. Or you allow him to be Lord of your life. The only three options. There is no wiggle room in that. Because if you say he was good and moral and taught the truth, then he said he was the son of God. And he said he had the authority of heaven to come here. And then he went with his life to the cross to die on that cross for our sins. So that you and I would not have to participate in this ritualistic religious system that required us to kill a sheep or a goat every time we said a cuss word. Right. Every time we did something wrong, we had to go and like make amends for it with this ritualistic sacrifice. There was a set of parameters. No, he said, listen, don't like I'm not throwing all that out, but I'm saying the fulfillment of all of that is in relationship with me. He said, listen, all these things that have been heavy like the the law, the Old Testament law was very heavy, You look at the Old Testament law, there's just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of things that you're required to do to stay in right standing with God. And my favorite one to utilize is in the book of Leviticus. it says if you're walking through town and you trip and fall and accidentally kill someone, you're supposed to take a bird, kill the bird, take the blood of that bird and pour it over a live bird in a bowl with a hyssop branch take a ribbon and you tie it around the live bird and you take that blood and you dip it in the bowl and the bird in the bowl of the dead bird's blood. And then you go out into a field and you release the live bird that is now covered in the dead bird's blood. I mean, there's heaviness. How do you know if it's the right bird? How do you know if it's a hyssop branch? I have no idea. I don't know what poison ivy looks like. I wouldn't know what a hyssop branch was, but now I'm a guilty of the law because I got the wrong stick. I'm like, this is all I had, right? The heaviness of the law Is this huge thing until you look at Jesus and you go, oh, you were the dead bird. I'm the live bird living covered in your blood. So that I can fly free of the guilt of my sins. Because you died and gave me your blood. That's a big deal. I don't have to get the hyssop branch. I just have to believe in you. That you are who you said that you were. And see, here's the thing about it. There's a lot of people that I know lots about. For friends on Facebook, I know that you had Mexican for dinner last night. I know that you went to Disney World for your family vacation last year, and you should not have been wearing the, uh, you know, tank top, guys. I mean, because, you know, if you're built like me, that's not flattering. But you put the pictures up there, and we all saw. I know a lot about you now. And I may not know you. And I didn't mean to tell him Richard right there. I'm sorry, I didn't. <laughs> no, I know a lot about some of you. Because we're friends, right? I know, I know things about you. Some of you, I don't know. I don't know that well. I'm, I'm literally friends with people on Facebook. I've never met in real life. Maybe you are too. You're like, friend request. Who who are you? We have 17 people in common. Okay. Click. Yeah. Confirm. You live in Madagascar. Okay. All right. Great. Yeah. We're good. We're friends now. No, we have no relationship, none, but I know about them. And that's the trap. Most of us are in with Jesus. We know a lot of the things that I just told you. He came and he lived on the earth. He claimed to be the son of God then he went to a cross and he died and there was something about rising again and we come in here and we sing songs jesus messiah jesus son of god jesus come to my rescue so he's still a big deal today and i know a lot of things about him but i don't know him i mean i've been in the church maybe a long time you don't understand, like we were members of, you know, Baptist whatever church or Methodist church, Church of God. What, we're still on the roll. And, but I don't know Jesus. And that's a shame. Because that's the exact opposite of what he came to do. He didn't come and live on the earth and do those things so that you would show up here on Sunday morning and listen to me be an idiot. He didn't. He didn't show up on the earth and live and do all of those things so that you would just get an idea about him or a general knowledge of him and his life and the facts about him. He came to earth and did all of those things and said this in Matthew chapter 11. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. The yoke here is the teaching, the, the ideas that he was setting for. Take this upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The message translation says this. Are you tired and worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me and watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. That's one of my favorite four or five words in all of the Gospels. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. I want the band to come on up. I want you to think about a couple words that I just said right there. Unforced rhythms of grace. Live freely and lightly. What does that even look like for some of us? When was the last time you lived freely and lightly? You're like white knuckled, holding on for dear life, trying not to blow it. You're just, I mean, you're trying to survive life. The unforced rhythms of grace. You know, when I got married, my wife, Corey, is my best friend. We knew each other since we were 13 years old best friends all throughout the time. She dated all those losers and (laughs) I dated some as well. We went to college and eventually we got it right. We, we, We found each other in that way in the right time forever. We talk all the time that we want to celebrate 75 plus years of marriage. I won't be able to walk at that point. I know that. 75 plus, 100th anniversary, that'd be awesome. I'd be like a million years old. It'd be awesome. When we first got married, my dad told me, he said, listen, marriage is hard. He said, there's a, there's a lot about marriage that's awesome, but there's a lot about marriage that's hard. You got you to gotta learn someone else and they've got to learn you. You got to learn how to communicate. You got to learn how to resolve conflict. You got to learn how to deal with money. And you got you to take two different contexts of growing up and merge them together and make one new context now. You got to figure it all out. And he said, There's going to be seasons that you go through and you just know it's right. And he used this word rhythm. He said, Every day, the day to day life, there's just a rhythm there it's not forced it just works. I would love to tell you that it's like that all the time but you see me she doesn't stand a chance <laughs> but there are times when it just it just works and, and here's what Jesus is saying right here He's saying listen this is not about ritual it's not about religion it's not about even the do's and don'ts though all that comes out of a context of relationship with me because there's covenant. There's things that I don't do because it doesn't honor the covenant that we have. It's not because she says, don't do that. You're not allowed to do that. I don't want you to do those things. No, we committed together to this covenant relationship. And we stood in front of friends and family at the altar. And we said to one another in sickness and in health, richer or poor till death do us part. I'm committed here. There's covenant, commitment. Related. That's what Jesus is saying. Listen, come to me. I'll give you rest. It's, a, it's an unforced rhythm of grace that yeah. can exist here. Yeah. The do's and don'ts are a part of that. Listen, I heard this phrase this week and I love it. You are not a sinner because you sin. You sin because you're a sinner. Some of you have no idea what I just said. It's not the result of your sin that makes you a sinner, your nature is sinful. You are a sinner, and because of that, you sin. And Jesus knew that and said, let's enter into a relationship that has this unforced rhythm of grace. I came to the earth. I'm dying on a cross. I'm raising from the dead because I want to have relationship with you. I'm not just the creator of the world. I'm not just all these things, super guy. I'm not just all these. Listen, I want to have relationship with you. I don't want you to know about me. I want you to know me. You know how you do that? You read his journal. I mean, if Corey kept a journal, I would love for her to hand it to me one day and go, just read this and you'll learn all about me. Because most of the time I'm looking at her, going, what are, "What are you thinking? What, what are you? I did What did I do wrong? What, I didn't even realize I did that. Journal, like this is the journal of God, His thoughts, His feelings about me, the story of God redeeming and reconciling mankind. And you go, "Yeah," but when I read that, I don't understand it. Come talk to me. Let's find you a good place to start. Maybe John chapter one where you can read about him taking on skin and moving into your neighborhood. John 3.16, for God so loved you that he came because he sent his own son, Jesus, that we're talking about today so that you could believe in him and have everlasting life. It's his journal. When we sing these songs and you're like, "What are these? what's this worship do? I don't understand the songs. I don't understand the lifting the hands. I don't. You know what you're getting to do? You're getting to take a greeting card that's already written, not the blank ones that you just have to work with, right? The greeting card, the words are already there. You just sign your name. You say, hey, here's my greeting card to you, God. All these really fancy words that people way more talented and smarter than me, they wrote them in here. And I'm going to sign my name and say, this is my prayer. You are Jesus Messiah. You are Jesus Son of God. I do need you to come to my rescue. You get to just take something that's already formed and make it your own and hand it to God in an act of worship. Have a relationship with him. He's a personal being. He's not this far off. I can't touch him. I can't communicate with him. He's right here. What you find out is that, like I said two weeks ago, when you pursue God, you find out that he's been pursuing you the whole time. And you know how he pursues you primarily? Because he put his son in skin. He moved into your neighborhood. He's available to you and to me today. I'm going to ask our host to come. We're going to take of communion today. This is a very sacred act of worship and response to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But as you take in communion today, here's what I want you to do, okay? Like I said, some of you have been in this thing a long time. I want you to act like this is the first time you've ever done it. Let me just tell you what you're going to do here. If this is new for you, there are two trays. One has these little cracker bread wafer pieces in it. You take one of those as it passes by. There's another tray that has a cup of of grape juice. It's probably the Publix brand, okay? It's not about that. It's just juice. And you take one of those when it passes by you. And you're now going to be holding this little wafer and this little cup of juice. And we're going to come back in just a moment. Don't, don't eat it or drink it yet. Wait, we're going to do that together. But I want you, as this, as this band sings and leads us in, in a song, as we take the, the elements into our own hands, I want you to understand what you're about to do. We're going we're to go through this in just a minute, very briefly, but here's what I want you to understand that you're doing. You are literally holding the elements that Jesus gave to us to know Him, to remember Him. And so if you've been working your whole life trying to get to Jesus as it passes by, you're holding him in your hands. Not literally, but for some of you very, very literally this morning. This is a very sacred moment. I'm just going to ask you, try not to distract anybody else. Allow every moment, every person in this moment, just to have some time where they're a part of this really cool presence of God. I'm going to ask these guys to go ahead and begin to serve and I'll come back in just a moment.